Welcome to episode 10 of the Downrange Podcast. Today we're going to be joined by Joe Hanna. Joe is the founder and director of a nonprofit organization called Bunkers in Baghdad. Bunkers in Baghdad started in 2008 that collects used golf clubs and golf balls and ship them to U.S. service members worldwide. Joe does a great job of breaking down the origin story of the organization, the accomplishments that it's had along the way, and what it needs in order to continue. The biggest thing that hit me about Joe is that this truly was his call to service. He describes that, the moment where Bunkers in Baghdad was founded, and more. Enjoy. Cody, I really appreciate you having me on. I, I truly, from the bottom of my heart, and, and we'll get into this, but you're the reason why we do what we do. You, your dedication to this great country, your commitment to excellence, uh, your love for the game of golf is, amongst other things, obviously, first and foremost, defending our many freedoms and democracy and, and everything that you've done. Um, and there's thousands and thousands and thousands of you that we've we've helped over the years. And so I thank you. I, I thank you on behalf of the charity. I thank you on behalf of myself, because as you can imagine, after 13 years of collecting golf balls and golf clubs and, and putting them in boxes, it, it, it gets old at times. But when we hear the stories and have the opportunity to shake your hand and spend time with you out on a golf course, it just re-energizes us. It re-energizes myself day in and day out. It re-energizes our volunteer base. And, and we're 100% volunteer run. Nobody draws a salary from this charity. So without our volunteers, we can't accomplish our mission. So thank you. Thanks for having me. And, and I just want to start off by, by laying that out. So... In terms of myself, I'm a born and raised blue collar kid from Buffalo, New York. Uh, I'm the son of immigrants. We grew up in a very, very small uh, thousand square foot flat in North Buffalo, New York. My father and mother, my three older sisters, myself and my uncle. So uh, the quarters were tight. So we all learned to love each other very quickly. Uh, went to grammar school in Buffalo and high school. Uh, after graduating from Canisius High School, I went to the University at Buffalo undergrad, not knowing what I wanted to do when I grew up. Uh, when I was six, I told my father I wanted to be the president of the United States. So as we were at the North Park Library reading books about the presidents, uh, and I told him that he never corrected me. He was a blue collar worker at Trico. He made windshield wipers and passed away when I was 12. So my mother raised us oh. all. And I went through my teen years, high school, undergrad of college, and shame on me in retrospect, I never spoke to a lawyer, I never met a lawyer, I never went into a law firm, and I just applied to law school and walked into that first day in law school, and it was a completely different world. There were people there in their suits, there were people there with their briefcases and their big, heavy, thick books. And I rolled in with a pair of Jordans on, a Willis McGahee jersey and a pair of jeans. And I looked around and I said, here we go. So three years of law school, uh, hired at the current law firm I'm at, Goldberg Segala. I'm the 
first associate they ever hired directly out of law school. And I've been there 16 years since. I am now on the management committee. But in that time frame from graduating law school, joining the firm, and today, this little charity that's now global in scope started in 2008. Yeah, and it's a phenomenal story, not just yours to get where you're at today, but ultimately what you started at and the the milestones, the numbers that you guys put up. It's incredible to look at because I don't think people realize the scope of what it actually covers. I mean, the the amount of countries that you guys have sent golf clubs to, and I don't want to get too far, too far ahead of it, but it, it's from me and you said a lot of kind words about me in the beginning and I definitely appreciate that but the little piece of home that your organization started that could send forward to me my brothers my sisters that had nothing like that it it, it truly meant the world to us cuz it's the one thing that you know we've been in some pretty horrible places and and lived through some horrible experiences but as soon as you can pick up a golf club, if it's something that resonated with you somewhere in your life, you're immediately snapped back to that place. And I think that's what it's all for. That's exactly right. You, you hit the nail on the head. And the, the origins of it are very simple. And, and frankly, the charity itself is very simple. It's, it's not, there's nothing terribly complicated about it at all. It's, it's golf balls, golf clubs, troops, and vets. And then there's other things sprinkled in there that we'll talk about. But in, at its most basic level, we, we're here to, to support our brave men and women in their recreation, obviously, overseas and here at home. And, and we've worked with so many VA hospitals and the PGA HOPE program and rehabilitative services to help in that rehabilitation of our vets when they come home whether it be with PTSD, whether it be with physical ailments, whatever it might, it, what might be, we're here to help. And we're very proud of the, the little tidbit we've done to try to grow the game of golf. Cause, and it's one of those things that I, I take a lot of pride in as a golfer is we've been able to put golf balls and golf clubs in new golfers hands, men and women, around the world, literally around the world, that never, ever, ever in their wildest dreams would have ever picked up a golf club or ever would have hit a golf ball. And if we even get one new golfer or two or a thousand out of this, then we've also helped the game of golf as well, which I, I'm proud of too. Right. So we're talking about, and correct me if these numbers are wrong, 12 and a half million golf balls, a million golf clubs. Those numbers are staggering. Getting golf clubs and golf balls in the hands of people who most, more than likely, just would have never had them. And then shipped all over the world, 74 countries and counting. But let, let's go back to the beginning of it. Why and where? What, where did this start from? So I was watching 60 Minutes, and it was during the surge in 2008. And they didn't specifically address the golf ball, the troops hitting golf balls, but it was a day in the life of the troops. Obviously, that's kind of the focal point. That was probably amongst the worst times of our 
uh, overseas engagement and our war engagement overseas. So 60 Minutes doing this special pans in the background. There's a, a service member in a uniform hitting a golf ball. Didn't talk about it. I saw it. I thought it was pretty cool. And I went on with my life. I, I read a couple months later, I read an article by David Faraday in Golf Magazine that said that he was there on a USO tour with Tom Watson. And it said the troops' favorite form of stress relief is hitting golf balls. Read it, resonated with me. And I was just thinking about it over and over and over again. And I said, you know what? The least I can do is get these clubs and balls together that I have in my basement and figure out a way to ship them overseas. And you, you felt a calling to it. I, I felt a calling. I, I it, it just was, it just seems so simple. Is here's a, a professional golfer played in the Ryder Cup, guy who goes over on a USO tour, writes an article and says the troops love this. And it's not that they love like PlayStations or like Super Nintendos or things that you can't get like mass quantities. They, they love golf, which right. you can very easily, <laughs> if you think about it, and, and, and Cody, you, you described it. If you think about it, if you put out a calling, it's not very hard to collect golf balls and golf clubs because they come in large quantities. So I had a large quantity in my basement. I had some old golf balls. I had some old clubs and I, I said, okay, this is what I want to do. And then that calling was the start of what's been an absolutely wild ride from 2008 to today. And uh, there's been ups, there's been downs, there's been uh, roadblocks, there's been a lot that we've overcome. Uh, but here we are today, uh, and it, it's crazy, and we'll obviously dive into this, but 13 years later, there's a lot of nonprofits and charities that have a mission creep where they start to slow down or they don't, they're not exactly executing their mission. We're busier than ever. And it's amazing the quantity of clubs that are coming in and golf balls and the quantity and clubs of golf balls that are going out. So that's just the, the origins of the story and, and how the basic idea started. And then from there, like I said, you just don't, put together a package of golf balls and put it in the mail and it finds its way overseas. There's, there's a lot that goes with it. So, so if we, if we could go back to 2008 sure. and you, you had the calling and you're like, Hey, I can do this. Like I have extra golf clubs. I have extra golf balls. All golfers do. We all, we we're naturally like golf hoarders because you never know when you're going to use that wedge again. Those that those, you know, you empty out your golf bag once every couple months because at the end of the, your you know, the bottom of your ball pocket just becomes full of scuffed up golf balls and you're like what do you do with all this stuff you take it to your local club and you put in like the the junior container and somebody's going to try to sell them for 25 cents or something like that but what did you do what where did you even know to start where what what address did you look up because I've been to the places where your stuff ends up at, and it's hard enough for me getting a letter from my wife, let alone a dozen golf balls. So there was a transition of the presidency from at that time from George Walker Bush to Barack Obama. And, and one of the first executive orders that went into effect or kind of one of the 
first quote unquote rules or roadblocks that we came into came into contact with was we could no longer as a country just send shipments overseas addressed to soldier or airman or marine or sailor. It had to have a specific name, a specific APO address. So that's, so you think about 2008, that's where it all started from. So we got in contact with a local school and I figured immediately off the bat, where's the manpower going to come from? And there's no better manpower when it comes to packaging things up and collecting things than school children. <laughs> so we w- reached out to a local school. They loved the idea. They loved the idea of instilling in these young men and women the importance of giving back and, and service and so on and so forth. So the students, school number one, we were able to get the uncles and aunts and brothers and sisters of some of the uh, students in the school. So that's where we started the original crop, I'll call them, of APO and FPO addresses. But then on top of that, and probably the most important thing that came out of working with that first school is the enjoyment I saw on the children's faces of them coloring golf balls and writing letters and getting them in boxes and shipping them overseas. So not only did we get our first batch of troops names, we also kind of planted that seed for our Bunkers Buddies program, which has now spread to over 1,500 schools across the country. So we've had school children from kindergarten all the way up to college work with this charity in some fashion, whether it be fundraising, whether it be collection of clubs and balls, but primarily coloring the golf balls and golf clubs, coloring the golf balls, I should say, and packaging up the clubs and balls. And we put that in the mail and that started the process of getting everything overseas. The enjoyment that came out of that first school spurred kind of a a larger calling, Cody, in that, hey, look it, there's some traction here. The feedback that we received from the airman and his his unit that we sent this to was phenomenal. The pictures were really cool. The kids were really happy. It's a bad time over there. Let's start the foundation of growing a 501c3. Let's start that paperwork. Did you have any background in that? Zero. (laughs) Zip. Other than an alleged background of being able to do paperwork because I'm a lawyer, which is like, they don't teach you this in law school. They don't frankly teach you much in law school. So I, I had no idea. I sat down with one of my best friends who was an Air Force vet who played, has played a very important role in this charity. And he, significantly smarter than me, wrote all of the paperwork out and started working on that 501c3 process. But In the meantime, while we're putting together that paperwork, while we're kind of getting the traction together, um, first of all, the charity needed a name. And second of all, we wanted kind of to reach out, start reaching out to golf companies and, and athletes and entertainers and celebrities and 
and sports teams and so on and so forth. So we, we made up a little postcard, but in terms of the name, uh, my brother-in-law and his first cousin, one of my good friends, we were driving to the uh, Cleveland Indians ALCS game, Cleveland Guardians, whatever they're called now, the ALCS game against the Boston Red Sox. And we're driving. Uh, we get to Cleveland. We have a couple pops in us. And I turn to, his name's Tommy. I turned to Tommy and I said, what about Bunkers in Baghdad? And he looked at me and said, brilliant. And that's where the name came from. It, it's, it took a little liquid courage, a couple <laughs> pops of Guinness and some Jameson, but here we are. That's where the name came from. So with a name came uh, the process of reaching out to uh, a great local marketing company that helped us with the logo. And now we have a logo, we have a name, we have the 501c3 paperwork in place. So we're now off and running as a, a nonprofit, all those those little things that we put together. Um, but back to that postcard I mentioned, and this is kind of spurs on a, a whole lot of the story is that postcard was literally just that. It was uh, our logo on it on the back. It told a very brief story. We sent it out to everybody. And the first company to respond was Callaway Golf to just a postcard. They And they're in, obviously, Carlsbad, California. We're in Buffalo, New York, other side of the universe. And they reach out and Lisa Ferris and Marty Hockman over there, they reach out and say, Joe, we'd like to discuss this with you and see where you're going. And after a significant, I, I felt like I was getting cross-examined after, and obviously they have to do their, their uh, due diligence. After a significant cross-examination of where are the clubs going to go? Where are the balls going to go? How are you going to have security measures in place? How do we know that none of our equipment is going to get wasted or sold or, and so on. It's for all the things that a publicly right. traded company would do. I think I passed the test. And they said, Joe, when you get your 501c3 status, let us know. So Callaway's been on board with us since before even day one. Uh, October 31st, we got our 501c3 status. And we let Callaway know, and we were off and running with them right away. So, Cody, we have a name. We have our first batch of troops that we've shipped stuff to. We have, we've started collecting balls and clubs. We have a logo. And we have our 501c3 status, and now we're off and running. At that point in time, before Callaway came on board, where where are you getting this stuff from? It's like we were the Sanford and Son of golf equipment. <laughs> it, it's just, Cody, it would it would amaze you, and and God bless all of our great donors, and we truly appreciate them. But I, I've said this a hundred times is. People believe, since golf clubs are very expensive, people believe that they forever hold their value. Right. Or they can't get rid of them because they're golf clubs. Yep. So people have held on to golf clubs that were their grandfathers or great grandfathers and have stored them in attics. And we were getting clubs. We did a golf show in Rochester. We did a golf show in Syracuse. We had a collection drive in Syracuse. We collected all that equipment and we took it to Fort Drum. 
up in near Watertown, New York, near the Canadian border. And very, very, very cold place. Been there a couple times. Absolutely miserable. I don't know how you guys do in the wintertime. Anybody who's been stationed at Fort Drum, not fun, but God bless you. Coldest place on earth. Yeah, it, it's not. It's amazing. Uh, it's a different, it takes a different type of lung capacity to live up there. So, but people were bringing equipment and the golf balls, even to today, it, it any type of golf ball is going to work. It's just, our, our troops are hitting them out in the desert and will differentiate and either kind of in the mountains and desert. So if they're yep. really scuffed up, they're really messed up. Uh, we'll just send them to f- formally to Afghanistan or Iraq or wherever, but obviously to our vets here at home, we would get the newer ones or the ones still in the sleeves and all that stuff. But Cody, people were bringing golf equipment that Sam Snead's third cousin was using <laughs> The, the, the bags smelled like kitty litter. God knows what was inside of them. Uh, we have, we've seen our fair share of mice. Uh, we've, it, it's, it's been amazing, but we, we got through it. This was all before social media. So this how is, do you even get people to bring stuff to golf shows? So the power of what some of the kids listening to this might not realize the radio. Yeah. Local uh, radio goes a long way. <laughs> so we were doing radio interviews in like Rochester and Syracuse. We were in the newspaper, like a print newspaper, which which to some of the teenagers listening may be a thing of the past. Um, and people were coming out. And so between the print newspaper, uh, the Rochester District Golf Association, there's great golf in Rochester. Um, they got their membership out. And so we were there for three days. The first day people were coming, they heard about us, they saw us, and then days two and three, Saturday and Sunday, they brought a ton of equipment. So you say, with, you say us, but like it's you and who? <laughs> the, the us is me and volunteers, some friends, some school teachers, and initially. And so a true grassroots community, like backed and supported initiative from the very beginning. Hundred percent. It's it's like the the Fisher Price little people. You had like teachers, you had plumbers, you had lawyers, you had everybody kind of coming in and helping. You had vets uh, assisting, so it was vets giving back to vets. It was a hodgepodge of people from all walks of life in Western New York trying to get this little charity off the ground and giving five or ten hours. And they weren't a posh five or 10 hours. Like right. you weren't ro- rolling up to the spa, enjoying yourself. You were literally cleaning kitty litter out of golf bags and just moving disgusting equipment from a bin to a, to store it, to put some duct tape on it, to get it ready to go to our troops. You were cleaning off golf balls. You were cleaning them with bleach. It's, it was a wild ride uh, very early on. Uh, and then we finally, and you're taking it, what to your garage, to a warehouse, to, to where, where's it all being stored? So that's, so it all started out of my uncle sales garage. (laughs) So at, at this point, um, I was, um, my mother has a meticulous house and there was no way on God's green earth. She was ever going to let us store golf balls and golf clubs in her garage. And, and she doesn't live in this 
mega mansion. So, but like she has a one car garage for one car fit in there and it, it just wasn't going to work. So uncle Sal comes to the rescue and he's like, Joey, you could more, you're more than welcome to store the equipment in my garage. So it didn't take a lot of time, Cody, but we filled up uncle Sal's garage yeah. and uncle Sal's like, Joey, the winter's coming in Buffalo. <laughs> like, like shrug, shrug, wink, wink, time to go. So uh, that that great uh, person, Trisha Barrett, who uh, designed our logo, uh, then found us a storage facility on Grand Island, um, which is a, a suburb of, of New York. And that was our uh, storage facility home up until uh, COVID hit. And we have a lot of wow. crazy stories of uh, that storage facility home. But Fortunately, we we grew out of that, and what that was also a one car garage, and now uh, we're in AdPro's uh, storage unit uh, warehouse, I should say. AdPro, uh, they are one of our biggest contributors. They uh, do the logos and um, apparel for the charity, but uh, also they do the embroidery work for professional sports teams all across the NFL and namely the Buffalo Bills and Sabres. So uh, great, great friends there. And just as this story evolves and our relationship with Top Golf comes into play, uh, the storage unit and storage of our equipment at AdPro here in, in Amherst, New York, uh, is a lifesaver. We wouldn't have ever been able to store a, a million clubs and all the balls if it wasn't for them. So we've graduated from Uncle Sal's garage to a one-car garage to uh, tens of thousands of square feet of storage uh, space uh, with our great friends uh, at AdPro. That's incredible. Absolutely incredible. So you're collecting it all. You're cleaning everything up the best you can. You're somehow sorting through everything uh, and then getting it ready to, to ship. But like, how do you make the decision of what you're actually going to send? So those first couple shows before we got our sea legs, we got everything together and it all essentially went up to Fort Drum because Cody, the key thing in all of this is shipping costs. We, we hadn't started the process of fundraising yet because we didn't have our 501c3 status. So those first shipments that went to Iraq and Afghanistan, those were paid for out of my pocket just to kind of get the, the ball rolling and, and get things off the ground. So we got the equipment up to Fort Drum on those first couple uh, shows that we did. And then we started hosting happy hours here in Buffalo and just as a form of fundraising. So the Buffalo Sabres and Buffalo Bills have always been great contributors to us. So they donated an autographed helmet or an autographed jersey or whatever it may be. We were able to raffle those off. Uh, we had our first happy hour at a veteran-owned bar. Uh, and that's where the fundraising started to help us with shipping costs to start getting things overseas. So it was, like I said, a lot of moving parts. We still didn't have a web page yet. Uh, but we had those happy hours. We had um, the, the grassroots effort of the support coming in. And then we were able to start putting it together and things started to click. So you asked, 
how did we know what the ship oversees is we had these dialogues going back and forth with our troops. So what happened was, and, and Cody, you, you mentioned this, is we took so much stuff to Fort Drum that when they started deploying, they said, oh, we know that charity in Buffalo, New York. So they started reaching out to us via email. And that's where kind of the whole kickoff effort outside of our school children and getting addresses and names started from was our the deployment of our troops uh, from Fort Drum overseas. And then, as you know, you you obviously deployed a number of times is you don't get deployed to the same spot with the same people every single time. So mm-hmm. kind of like gremlins or a wildfire, it caught on and our troops kept uh, deploying, going to different spots in the world, hot spots in the world and in different regions and areas in Iraq or Afghanistan or wherever it may be. And then obviously Korea and Germany and the UK and Italy and the, the quote unquote mainstays right. uh, throughout uh, the world. So that's where the decision on what the ship came into play, because if you were in Afghanistan, we were sending you a net and balls and clubs and turf because obviously it's mountainous and you're going to lose the balls. If you were in Iraq, uh, we were just sending you more balls than we send the people in Afghanistan because you're essentially hitting them out into a driving range into the desert. Uh, If you were in Italy or Germany or Korea or or the, the countries that have bases on course, we were sending you new sleeves of balls. So it, it, it differed. Um, and we, we got our volunteers in gear, uh, pretty quick. So they, they knew where they were shipping stuff and they knew exactly how to, what to send. So we, uh, we worked pretty hard to figure that out quickly. That's a ton of hours of volunteer work. It, it, it's a lot to, to be able to manage not just everything, separating it for locations and cleaning and what clubs are getting what and breaking down boxes and putting boxes together and shipping costs, you name it, but everything that is like starting to grow on. And I know it catches on fast and it caught on fast for you guys. And it's just been still just growing and growing and growing over time. But man, those hours, it's phenomenal work. We, without the support of our volunteers, and I'm, I'm going to tell you a story about our, our A number one volunteer, Dick Nelson. But without our volunteers, we would have never been able to get this off the ground. It, it could have, it was a simple idea that would have helped people. It was a calling. But without the, the elbow grease manpower support of people who are dedicated to giving back and helping others, without all the, the bureaucratic red tape, without the, the giant boards of people to kind of get in the way or, or confuse things just in, in the Cody that I think one of the key things that has benefited us through the years is it's almost instant gratification is golf balls and golf clubs are donated. We get them in a box, we tape it up, we put a customs form on it, some postage, we ship it overseas and two or three weeks, we're getting pictures back of our troops hitting golf balls and golf clubs. So our donors, our volunteers are immediately seeing what they're doing in action. So the challenge coins and the, the 
uh, flags that were flown and all of that stuff, when you're able to give those back to the volunteers who have helped and say, hey, look, it, this is directly from the people you are supporting. Thank you. It means the world to them. Right. That circle gets super tight when when you have an operation that's turning that quick. So Dick Nelson, Cody, is a, is a story that's that's amazing. Dick Nelson is uh, in his 80s, legally blind, has donated a veteran, has donated more than 250,000 golf balls. Tens of thousands of dollars that he fundraised in his community. 20,000 plus clubs, Dick Nelson has hand-washed, no exaggeration, has hand-washed with bleach every single one of those golf balls he's delivered to us. And he's still doing it today. Like I said, he's legally blind. And if there is a commitment to our troops and a labor of love, he walks around his community in Jamestown and collects cans to, to fundraise for us. He has... Uh, been able to put our information on billboards when the golf courses here in Western New York drain their ponds. Uh, he'll have a team of guys go in there with boots on to go collect those golf balls. He'll wash them and bring them up to us. So wow. if there is ever a story of a veteran giving back, Dick Nelson is that. It's amazing. We've, we give a scholarship every, every year away to our bunkers buddy who has exhibited that commitment to excellence, and it's called the Dick Nelson Award uh, because of all the things he's done, everything he's committed to our great country and our troops and vets, but his, his love of life and his willingness to give back to others is if we can exemplify that every day in ourselves as regular human beings, but plant that seed in, in young men and women and, and give out that scholarship in their name, hopefully we're making a difference. Did you guys have a relationship with Mr. Nelson prior to, or where did, where did the relationship come from? Dick heard about us on a local television uh, interview that I did. That's simple. Uh, he's in Jamestown. I'm in Buffalo. Uh, he heard about us. Uh, I did a newscast for whatever, uh, a million golf balls, two million golf balls, whatever it might've been. And for the last 10 or 11 years, Dick has been, the most important part of this charity. And he's as paternal uh, uh, human as they get. And uh, when I get to see him probably three or four times a year, he, he has these volunteers who will pack up their, their giant trucks and bring all these golf balls and golf clubs down to us. And just that half hour or hour that I get to spend with Dick or the, the monthly calls of him updating me and telling me what's going on, that's one of those, another one of those things that energizes me and keeps me going is just those communications and opportunities to spend time with somebody like a Dick Nelson. So getting it off the ground and, and picking up steam, what went wrong? There had to have been lessons that you learned in, in the beginning, first couple of years of getting this started. We talked about shipping costs, got the money to be able to fund that. Talked about getting more uh, point of contacts for people overseas. Fort Drum made that a little bit easier for you. But what were the other things that came up that you're like, well, I didn't see that coming. And how did you identify them and what did you do really to overcome them? So the, the shipping cost challenge, frankly, still exists today. <laughs> and so, so that's one that we still haven't cured. Uh, we work very hard at fundraising. We've been able to get grants 
We, we have our annual golf tournament up here in Buffalo every year. And we have, we pre COVID, we are having events around the country in Chicago and parts of Florida and Dallas and so on and so forth. But so that, that exists still today, that challenge um, that we pay for obviously to, to ship the golf balls and golf clubs overseas. So the, the situation related to the storage of the equipment we were blasted on uh, very early on. And, and I, I mentioned AdPro. If it wasn't for AdPro and Ron Rakuya and his great team over there, we would never have been able to sustain the number of clubs and balls that we have through the years. They're, where were we going to put them? So our law firm, Goldberg Sagala, has been great. Um, we took space up there. Uh, we still have uh, offices that we've uh, been able to uh, store stuff in. If anybody at the firm takes a really close look around and starts opening closets and doors and, and looking behind things, they're going to find a lot of golf equipment. So I've probably just outed myself on this No Laying Up podcast, but maybe they'll skip over this part of the the talk. So, um, so there's we've stored stuff at the firm. We obviously have stuff at AdPro. Uh, so that storage piece was a challenge early on. We were able to get through it. Uh, so with the support of uh, our friends over there, that opened up the pathway, so to speak, to get huge donations in from Callaway, from Dick's Sporting Goods, from Top Golf. So that was an issue. We reached out once again locally in the community. Uh, and Cody, that's another story. It was a, it's a high school alumni connection uh, from somebody who's 10 years older than me, looks 10 years younger than me, but is 10 years older than me. We were able to connect. He's a diehard golfer. And he, Ron laid out the red carpet for us. He said, Joe, whatever you need. And 10 plus years later, it has been whatever you needed. It's been from t-shirts being printed up to storage, to the manpower and Cody, as you know, tens of thousands of golf balls and golf clubs are unbelievably heavy. So without their storage uh, equipment and ability to move it around, um, they've been great supporters. So that's another issue that we covered. Um, volunteer support. We've never uh, been short in that area, obviously because of the kids and the support there. So we, we've, because of kind of a strong foundation early on, we've been able to absorb whatever's come our way. So for example, there was a charity or an effort up in Illinois, and this is the closest the charity ever got to being canceled by me. Uh, so that they, I got a call from them. They had collected, they, they told me they had collected some golf balls and golf clubs. They couldn't get the money to ship them overseas. And they took it on as a project. It spun out of control, but they were able to get everything in like 12 or 13 boxes for us, literally told to us that way. So I said, yeah, we, we can absorb it. We have the, the space and please feel free to, to ship it over to Buffalo. I get a call from a guy in my office, our office coordinator. And he said, Joe, you're never going to believe what's here. I, I'm, I'm not in Buffalo. I'm traveling for work. 
And I'm like, what, Jason? And he said, there's a semi that's outside of the office parked on Washington Street that has 13 coffin boxes <laughs> filled with golf balls and golf clubs. I, I said, what do you mean? He said, Joe, I'm not going to repeat myself. You heard me. So Cody, literally 13 casket coffin boxes jam-packed to the gills with golf balls and golf clubs. When I reached out to those people in Illinois, they never returned my calls again. I never oh, heard wow. from them. They got them in a semi tractor trailer. They shipped them up to Buffalo and they disappeared. So I'm out of town. I start calling all of my friends and I say, we have a problem. We need help. I got together 20 guys. Once again, I'm not there, right? So right. I'm probably somewhere beautiful, like San Diego or whatever. <laughs> I'm gallivanting around the universe. And so they get the clubs off of the truck. They then store them in that little one-car garage in Grand Island. They tried to fit as much stuff as they could in the storage unit in Grand Island. Cody, pack to the rafters. You cannot walk in there. When I got back into town, I opened the one car garage. I look at it and I shut it and I said, I don't know what's, I don't know the next step for this charity, but if I don't take a deep breath and take a couple days to figure out what we're doing here, who's going to get this done? The rest of the stuff was literally taken to, it's called, it was previously called prior aviation to a airport hangar where private jets come in and out of Buffalo and we stored them there. This was before our relationship with AdPro. We stored them there until we could figure out what's going on. So it took us probably a month and a half or two months. The great people at Fort Drum, this was probably one of their, their saving moments. And, and I talk about Fort Drum like it's 15 minutes away. Fort Drum, Cody, as you said, it's in the middle of nowhere. Like it is not like in this like beautiful tropical place. It's about four hours from us. They met us in Syracuse, which is about an hour and a half drive for them. It's two and a half hours with us. We took probably five or six F-150s jam-packed with golf equipment. They brought their equipment down just to alleviate some of the stress on us. And from there, that's how uh, that major hurdle, probably one of the biggest hurdles that we faced uh, was tackled. So uh, just the, the mass quantity of people trying to do a charity like ours and not succeeding because it's not easy. The, the the shipping costs are a lot. The manpower to box everything up, to frankly get the boxes. That's one of the major challenges we've had is the postal service has their white flat rate boxes, but to find 48 by eight by eight golf club boxes and either try to get them donated or get them at a cheaper cost for the mass quantity we're sending out has always been a, a struggle for us, but we're, we're clicking away there too, so. You get over that hurdle. What was kind of the next big step for it? Because you you got a couple really big corporate sponsors right away. And then it just kind of grows and grows and grows. And if you can kind of talk us through like what what has the evolution of it been? Because now you're at a spot where you know, I want people to go back. Joe is on Golf Channel last week for Veterans Day doing a a, a a hit for bunkers in Baghdad and the great things that it's doing. 
you're on all sorts of news, you're printed in publications. But what has the steps been to get where you're at now? I would say that Callaway legitimized us right away. The, the fact that we were able to get them on board, obviously uh, amongst the most recognized golf companies, if not the most recognized golf company in the world globally. So that legitimized us. When you can go to a donor and say, hey, we work hand in hand with Callaway, they they kind of take you a little more serious than when you say, hey, what's up? Like, we can, can we get some golf balls and golf clubs? And we're here uh, to take so, your stuff. So that that certainly helped. That initial postcard we sent out really had an impact. That initial postcard we sent out, we had a bunch of professional sports teams respond to us. The Florida Marlins, then at the time, the Florida Marlins reached out and they took us under their wing for five or six seasons. And we did events at the ballpark. I had the the opportunity to throw out a couple of first pitches there. So being connected with a professional sports team like the Florida uh, Marlins, like the Indianapolis Colts, like the Pittsburgh Pirates and the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Pittsburgh um, Penguins, all of which obviously were in Buffalo, but close enough, great supporters. And then obviously our hometown Buffalo Bills and Sabres all were great contributors and supporters. So that all stemmed from that postcard. Just that simple. So that legitimizes you. So having that opportunity to have donors and respective communities throughout the country that are, I, I'm going to call them best of brand. They're amongst the most recognizable brands in anybody's respective community. So when you say Pittsburgh, people immediately say Steelers. And when you say Buffalo, people say snow, wings, and of course they say the Buffalo Bills. So we were able to partner with these best of brands we were legitimized by Callaway. We had an article written by uh, for us um, that was printed in Golf Digest early on that we used as a, a major marketing piece. So now, Cody, think about how we're putting all these things together. We were working hand in hand with our troops overseas. So that's starting to spread across all the branches. We are working with VA hospitals. And that connection was as simple as, and, and Cody, as you can imagine, picking up the phone saying, hi, I run a nonprofit. I want to donate golf equipment to your uh, VA hospital and your rehabilitation program. There wasn't a physical therapist in the country that said, no, we're good. So we were able to spread kind of the, the game of golf and work on rehabilitation that way. We were able to visit uh, our troops and vets on bases uh, across the country. So there was a lot of kind of hitting the ground running as well. So you have Callaway, you have the professional sports teams, you have Golf Digest, you have the VA hospitals, you have our troops overseas. So, and then there's little things that kind of came into play that we just stumbled upon, like the opportunity to ring the closing bell on the New York Stock Exchange, which was a opportunity that came through uh, one of our great volunteers early on, Jen Weintraub. And that kind of put us in front of, literally millions of people. So that's a marketing piece. Uh, The opportunity to work with President Bush and frankly, H.W. Bush and W. Bush through either the Daily Points of Light with George H.W. Bush, which we won that award, and the Warrior Foundation and President W. Bush, who's been a great supporter of the charity 
uh, getting out that way, throwing out first pitches um, are all the little things that have certainly helped get our name out there throughout this evolution. So you put all of that in place while still completing the mission. It's not all about being Hollywood. It's all about giving back to our troops and, and helping others. So as you're doing that, you're picking up you're picking up supporters along the way, like a loudmouth golf and a Dick's Sporting Goods, while you're still getting support from the others. And then that little piece, that another little piece that's added to the puzzle are the, the great kind of well-known supporters who have donated their own personal clubs, like an Arnold Palmer. What a great supporter before he passed away. Ray Floyd has probably been the most generous with us. Tom Watson, Jack Nicholas, uh, Ryan Bloom, um, who went to Duke, uh, had us on his bag for a season uh, on the PGA Tour. So that's that's a pretty cool thing. Uh, obviously, other great people have donated to us. Jeff Foxworthy and Tim Allen and Big Bird. And so the list goes on and on and on, along with presidents and Roger Clemens and Eric Dickerson and Troy Aikman and Steve Young and others. So you're building this team uh, along with the school children. Uh, and obviously, it all boils down to helping our troops. So we've had so many great connections uh, with our vets and troops through the years. I, I consider them family. And we stay in touch with them. We continue to support them when they get home. Uh, we had one troop, one soldier. Uh, Eric Harrison, who's, we met him as a captain and he he's grown through the ranks since then, but requested equipment from us and come to find out he's a diehard Bills fan. So we send him a bunch of equipment and we've grown a relationship with Eric over the last 10 plus years as well. We were sending him Bills apparel uh, when he got home. Um, I've hosted him at Bills games. We've played golf together and I've been and, and seen his family grow up and I consider Eric to be part of my family. Uh, so we just had him in town a couple weeks ago for a Bills game. So it, it's those relationships that you sustain and grow um, throughout the course of the charity as well. What do you think the future of it is? As long as we continue to get support from our great volunteers, our great donors. And there's a need from our vets here at home or our troops overseas, we will continue to keep doing what we're doing. This, this idea that our troops left Afghanistan. I was just going to bring that up. The, the, the thought that people think that nobody's deployed anymore continues well, to blow my mind. It's just, so I, I guess there's two points to that, Cody. I, I guess the first one is throughout the course of this charity, when we got out of the troops being in the headlines, like they were in 2008, the wars being in the headlines, I shouldn't say the troops, the wars being in the headlines in 2008, 9, 10. And we moved on as a country. Uh, the number one thing we heard back from our troops deployed overseas is thank you for not forgetting about us because they weren't getting the support 
like they were in 2008. They weren't getting the boxes of candy and the the soap and the the shampoo and conditioner. It just the sh- the focus kind of shifted away a little bit from our troops. Obviously, there's a strong calling. A su- there's strong support for our troops across the country and so on and so forth. But it wasn't as prominent. So we heard back. That was the number one thing we heard back from our troops was thank you for for not forgetting about us. And that's what kept us going. But as you just mentioned, this thought, this idea that our troops were rushed out of Afghanistan, like nobody reported where they went. They they just didn't get on these big B-52s and come home like and they're they're in our neighborhoods and they're they're back at the corner bar. They were and us golfers like this phrase, they were scattered. They, they were just scattered throughout the rest of the world. So they went from Afghanistan to Syria and Saudi Arabia and Iraq and, and parts of Africa and parts of Europe and, and so on and so forth. So um, we still have troops deployed all over the world. And like I said, we are busier than ever because the amount of support, uh, frankly, stemming from COVID when our troops couldn't come home, so they were their deployments lasted a little longer. So they were kind of sitting and waiting. So we had a ton of requests during the, the COVID 2020 uh, spell. And then even in 2021, there the, obviously the COVID piece uh, has flooded into 2021. But obviously the deployment piece and the, the withdrawal from Afghanistan uh, has kept us very busy as well because of the kind of the scattering of our troops around the world. So as long as that, as long as those requests come in, we'll keep doing what we do. I agree with you on that. And then I think like personally, you continuing to grow in your like day-to-day job, how have you been able to manage the growth of this, but also the growth of your family, the growth of your, your business life? You, you know, how, how is this all fitting in together? Where are you finding the hours to do it? And I know you rely heavily upon your team of volunteers, but you cannot like, I, I don't want you to try to minimize your involvement in this whole thing. It's not easy. <laughs> it, it's absolutely a labor of love. This is my baby, right? I, I, it's, it's a, and, and you said not to minimize it. I'll, I'll minimize it a little bit. I've surrounded myself with great people over the last, frankly, since day one of my life to today, but absolutely over the last 13 years of my life, where if I lost the support of our great volunteers, of our friends at AdPro, of our friends at Callaway, at our friends at Dix, at our friends, if those people started dropping off, and, and Cody, believe me, through the years, we've lost supporters. We haven't right. done anything, but to, to, to offend them, I don't think we have. They, they never told me that, but they move on. They yep. go and get different jobs. And sadly, they pass away. Like Arnold Palmer passed away. So we weren't getting the donations from Arnold Palmer anymore. Um, so as a result, you have to maintain those relationships. You have to grow relationships. So that's, it's always been a challenge and it'll continue to be a challenge. I, like I said, I sur- I've surrounded myself with great people and, and those people are what keep the charity going. But I, I try to find as much spare time as humanly possible 
my Sunday mornings, I wake up before our hometown Buffalo Bills kick off on Sunday. Uh, I, I spend as much time as I can. I'll sneak into the office at six o'clock in the morning and just get things done. I have great volunteers who will kind of prep things during the week. The Bunkers Buddies program, um, our students have done a great job of helping us package and, and collect and so on and so forth. But my, my legal con career continues to evolve and grow. Um, my family continues to evolve and grow. So it, it's certainly something that, it, it, like I said, it's a challenge, but because it's, it's a part of me, it's something that I know is as important as anything else that has to get done. So we find time for it. We collaborate. We work with other great nonprofits like Tee It Up for the Troops or the PGA Hope or whatever it might be. And we make sure that we continue to focus and accomplish our mission of helping our troops and vets. I, I appreciate you taking a, a little bit of the kudos there because you definitely deserve it. And I know you're not the type of person that, that is going to take it take it all but uh you know from somebody who has benefited from the foundation on the the other side of it you know thank you from the bottom of my heart um and i think you know being thankful as we look being november and thanksgiving i, I mean there's a lot that's that's gone your way and you talked about partners that have been there and partners that have left but really i mean if, if we could boil it down i know we were put in contact through our contacts at Callaway Golf and phenomenal supporters of ours, phenomenal supporters of yours. And, you know, we, us and No Laying Up, we wouldn't be where we're at without them. And I think for a second, like, you know, I, I guess I would say, like, what, what are you grateful for? Because there's a lot. And we talked about seeing the results of the foundation and, and having it come kind of full circle in them relationships that you build and you maintain and and the corporate sponsors that you grow and and hopefully get to stay on board but that's a full-time job how do you keep it all together so what am i thankful for and how do i keep it all together i, I they're all the same i'm going to answer it the same way i'm going to go a little lawyer on you i'll, I'll make i'll put a little gray area together for you so I think they're all one and the same is the patience of my family to, to, uh, to allow the, uh, the investment of time to, to obviously do good deeds and help others. Obviously our troops and vets without, without the smiles on their faces or the thank yous or the notes, Cody, it's not easy to kind of stay motivated without kind of a motivating factor. And so, and I, that might've sounded very Yogi Berra, but it's true. So the troops and vets that their, their energy, their, their excitement, their, their happiness, their, their kind of generous kind of giving back uh, to the community and, and frankly, giving back to other vets and, and, and active duty military members. It, I'm unbelievably thankful for that. I, I'm thankful for, our plethora of volunteers over the years. And we would not be where we are without them. And from Dick Nelson to, to Joe C across the board, all of them, 
they, I'm thankful for them, not only on behalf of the charity, I'm thankful for them on me personally. I've forged relationships with, with all of them. And I, I, I would not be the person I am today without their support and, and generosity and, and courtesy, many courtesies of their time. I'm, and I'm thankful for obviously all of our great donors, our contributors. Uh, we, I said it earlier, I'll, I'll say it till I'm blue in the face. We would not be where we are today without Callaway Golf. They, they legitimized us. And I sincerely mean that. It's when you're a small nonprofit in this giant golf universe and you can bring in on board the, the best in brand and they stand by you and they say, yeah, that's our, that's our uh, charity over there. Those are our guys. Then you, you immediately kind of have a, a name and a face uh, in this golf world that we're in. Uh, obviously, the, the great sports teams and athletes and entertainers and musicians who have all donated to us through the years, the, the bunkers buddies in the schools. Once again, Cody, these are these are not just I'm thankful for them. And I, I just said it on behalf of the chair. I'm thankful they, they've made me a better person. I'm a better husband. I'm a better father. I'm a better lawyer. I'm a better human being because of all of these people, corporations, everything associated with the nonprofit. And obviously, last but not least, uh, Ad Pro to kind of hold on to all of our equipment. And I've forged relationships, lifelong relationships with their great founder, uh, Ron Rakuya. And, and obviously, it's flowed into his family. And I, I consider them like a family members. His son is somebody I, I mentor and I take great pride in and, and so on and so forth. So we're very fortunate uh, across the board that we're, we're a week away from Thanksgiving, pretty close to Thanksgiving. And these are the people that keep this charity going. They're the people who keep me going. So I, I appreciate them and I'm 40 and I have a, a, a long time to go, but they've made me who I am today. And I'll only grow on that as a person, I hope. So people that are listening that want to get involved, whether that's donate balls, clubs, figure out more information of what you guys got going on or to follow the the journey that's continuing to grow and, and evolve day after day? Where, where can we direct them to? So you can always send me an email, joe at bunkersandbagdad.com. We have a webpage, bunkersandbagdad.com. Uh, we're on Twitter. Our handle is Bunkers Tweets. We're on Instagram and Facebook. I'm not the most technologically savvy human in the world. So, <laughs> but we try. We have great volunteers that help with that too. So that's uh, the way to get in contact with us. Any thoughts, ideas, constructive criticisms, whatever it might be, I'm all ears. I respond to the emails. I love to hear from our donors and, and our vets and service members, people we've donated to through the years. If, if you're hearing this and listening to this, please let us know. We'd love to hear from you. And if you need anything in terms of equipment today, obviously we're here to help.
again, I couldn't thank you more for being super generous with your time today. I know you got a full-time job that I'm sure I'm taking billable hours away from you from somewhere. So I apologize to the firm for that, but I think we're going to be okay. Well, yeah, between the billable hours and the fact that I have things hidden throughout the firm, now we've really blown up my spot at the firm, but I, I think we'll be okay. I agree. Well, cool. Well, I appreciate your time again. And, and I just hope people uh, that this resonates because it, it truly does matter for people that are, doesn't matter if you're deployed, if you're stationed overseas anywhere, if you're home, if you're, you're somebody in the military, veteran, excited, want to figure out how you can get in, in, involved in golf, whether that's playing or, or donating or anything else like that, please go to the site, to the social channels mentioned, and uh, we'll get you squared away from there. So thanks, Joe. Thanks, Cody.